Hi, I'm Irwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. Well, good morning. I want to take a moment and welcome everyone in South Pasadena at the Rialto Theater. Can we say hi? Come on. We're so excited you guys are with us today that we're going to go to the West Coast and we're going to say hello to everyone at Mosaic Venice in Santa Monica. Good morning, guys. And by the way, last night was our first gathering for Mosaic Orange County in Costa Mesa. It was amazing. And we had around 350 people in a space that had a capacity of 140 And the owner was there to make sure we did not break the capacity rule. And he's getting a little, I think, nervous when we started having around 200 people. And and then around 250, I think, he was about to pass out. And as it broke 300, it was getting a little more intense. And and he asked somebody, how many people do you think are in here? 200? It was 350, but he said, yeah, yeah, that's about right. And... So when I got up there, I said, I want to welcome you. What an amazing, amazing moment that only 139 people are here. <laughs> and it was beautiful to see so many people coming and responding. And, and, and I met people who um, were on, on such a deep, profound spiritual journey. I met one person who was a Buddhist. And, and we had a great conversation about the journey toward enlightenment. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm so excited because, you know, when you give your life to Jesus, um, it's like cheating because Jesus instantly brings you to enlightenment because he brings his light inside of you. And so I'm looking forward to the day you and Jesus meet. And, and then I met uh, these, uh, this, uh, other people and they were, they were saying, well, you know, we're sort of like Anglican Catholics who don't have a faith, but we're just trying to find our way through. And, and we go, this is so exciting to have you here. It's such a, a wonderful space to be a person who's an atheist, going, I don't even know why I'm here. To the person who's a Buddhist who's saying, I know why I'm everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> and, and to know that mosaic, they can all come together and we can be one people and we can be one community and we can learn to be family. And that's one of the wonderful things is that if you're here and you're new, whatever campus you're in, you're not surrounded by perfect people. You're not surrounded by people who have all together. You're not even surrounded by people who agree with each other. Look at the person next to you. You probably already disagree with them about something. And if it's not about politics, it's about whether LeBron should have come to the Lakers. I mean, there's something (laughs) significant that you disagree about. And, and, And one of the great mistakes we make, I think, in our culture is to think that you should only come together with people who agree with you. We haven't learned how to be human until we've learned how to come together and love each other and all of our differences. And, and that's the wonder of it, that we all have so much to teach each other, to learn from one another. And, and I, I suppose that that leads into what I want to talk to you for a few moments. Because I want to ask you, who do you see? Because one of the great dilemmas and really the way we humans are psychologically instructed is that we tend to only see people like ourselves. Have you ever noticed that your friends look a lot like you? I was just in, in a unique part of the world, and 
And everyone, I got into an elevator, and every person in the elevator, was like 10 of us, nine of the people in the elevator were blonde women and me. We were not together. We just happened to be in the elevator at the same time. And I realized that this is what everyone here looks like. But as you stepped into the city, you realized, oh, no, that's not how the city looked. The city was really diverse. It was the elevator that was very unique. Because they all saw each other. And I wonder, I mean, do you put out an ad looking for friends? Must be blonde. You don't do that. But what you do is you actually see people and are drawn to them. And you don't even realize it that you see people who look like you. Which isn't a terrible thing, except that that might cause us to be blind to people who are different than us. In John chapter 1, beginning of verse 43, this is a moment early in the work of Jesus. And it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, Before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. As I started thinking through the kind of people that we need to be aware that are around us and, and, and ask the question, who do I see? Who am I blind to? Are there people that I, I, I'm more aware of and people that I'm completely unaware of? I started thinking about this moment in the work of Jesus where he saw Nathaniel when he should have been invisible. And in fact, Jesus saw Nathaniel when no one else saw Nathaniel. Jesus saw Nathaniel where no one else saw Nathaniel. And it's one of the things that I love about our community and what I want to remind us about what we're about. Because here's a man under a fig tree trying to connect to God. But if you were trying to connect to God, they would expect you to be in the temple. Because there, were, there was all kinds of activity at the temple. In fact, there was a temple that God had instructed them to build. And in the middle of that temple was supposed to be this place called the Holy of Holies where God and humanity connected together. But somehow Nathaniel knew that that temple was a relic of a reality, but not the reality. Somehow he knew that, that even though the temple was a symbol of the possible relationship between God and humanity, he somehow knew that that's not where he was drawn to, that's not where he would find God. So he was searching for God under a fig tree. See, I think there's a lot of people who have given up on religion, who've given up on church, and have given up on synagogue, given up on temple, have given up on the mosque, they've given up on, on, the, on the, the visible structural impressions of faith, but they haven't given up on looking for God. And so oftentimes we, we try to build things and create things for the people who want to be in the temple, and we are blind to the person who's under the fig tree saying, God, are you out there? 
And I just know there's some of you here, you're, you're maybe even a little indifferent to church. Maybe a little suspect of organized religion. Maybe you don't even know why you're here except that someone you love convinced you to come. But what I know about you is that what you're not telling them is that you're the person under the fig tree. You're you're trying to make sense of life. You're trying to make sense of yourself. You're trying to find some way to connect to God. But you can't seem to find God in the places that claim God. See, I, I don't want us to ever be a place that claims God. I want us to be a place that knows God. I want us to be a place where, that has the reputation. If you want to find God, mosaic is the fig tree. I don't want us to be the temple. I want us to be the fig tree. I want us to be the place where people who can't make sense of life, who don't have all the answers, who are just overwhelmed with questions, who don't trust the institutions because somehow they just seem corrupt or hollow or empty, but they're not going to give up on searching for God. I want us to be the fig tree. But how did Nathaniel and Jesus connect? I think that's so important. It begins, again, the story with Jesus talking to Philip, and he said, come follow me. Actually, here it just says, follow me. I love that. A two-word conversation between God and man. Follow me. And Philip does. I wish it was that easy. I don't think I've ever gone. I would love to be able to, to go over to go get him and just say, follow me. <laughs> or just at least give me a coffee. And, but Jesus has a two-word conversation, and you might wonder, well, maybe that's, maybe that's just because Jesus is God, so he can just look at a person and say, follow me, and they just follow. But I don't think it's like that at all. See, I think what many of us don't understand is that God is having a conversation with every human being. The conversation did not begin with follow me. The conversation began long before the follow me. And because Philip was having a conversation with God, trying to find God, trying to connect to God, when Jesus shows up, he became the culmination of the conversation. And there's some of you here, it's, you're going to think that what I say is actually going to bring the pieces together, but the pieces didn't start here. They started so long before we ever walked into this place. I think it's funny. I meet so many people who will come up to me and tell me, I don't know if you're talking to anybody else, but that, that, your talk was just for me. Or even more specifically, say, I, I think you were just talking to me. And in fact, I've had other people a little nervous who were first-time guests who came with friends and said, did anybody like, tell you about me? Because it, it felt like you knew me and you're talking just to me. And I, I, I love terrifying them and go, oh yeah, yeah, they told me all about you. And I know everything about you. So I just use that as the content of my message. And See, there's some of you that somewhere along the way, if not today, one of these days, if not this moment and another moment, will feel as if I'm talking just to you. But I want you to know, here's a secret. I'm not talking just to you. Because I don't know you. I'm talking to everyone, but there is someone who's talking just to you. And when you think I'm talking just to you, it's not that I'm talking just to you. It's that my conversation with you has been interrupted by God's conversation with you. And and that's why it's really not about who's the smartest person in the room. See, when Jesus says, follow me, and you hear his voice, he doesn't really need to elaborate. You just do. You just finally see it. You get it. You follow him. When I became a follower of Jesus, I did not get all my questions answered. So disappointing, isn't it? Forty years later, I still don't have all my questions answered. In fact, now I have more questions and fewer answers. 
See, when Jesus said, follow me, he didn't say, but let me first explain everything to you, Erwin. Because I, I, I'm pretty convinced that, that the answers to my questions are more complicated than my mind can comprehend. So I learned a long time ago, it's not about who's the smartest. You don't have to debate with someone about God or about faith. Because you can fool yourself. You can, you can think that people who believe in God are always smarter than people who don't believe in God. Or people who don't believe in God are always smarter than people who do believe in God. But you're just hanging around with the wrong people. See, I mean, I could surround my life with people who are not as smart as I am. I know there's someone out there. You may even be here. And, and, and so I could feel really superior because I'm always going to have a conversation that I'm just a little bit sharper than so I see, believing in God, you're more intelligent than the person who doesn't. But, you know, if I don't want to ruin my day, I'm going to go hang out with someone who doesn't believe in God, who's smarter than me. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be going, well, maybe I believe in God because I'm dumb. Maybe I'm just too stupid to not know I shouldn't believe in God. But here's the thing. See, even if you're here, and even if you're smarter than me, and you don't believe in God, I'm telling you, there's somebody smarter than you who does. And if you're here, and you're the smartest person in the room, and you believe in God, so you think those atheists are not very smart, I'm telling you, there's an atheist smarter than you. So you can decide to spend your whole life with people who are dumber than you so you can feel smart. Or spend your life with people who are smarter than you, who agree with you so that you feel as smart as them. But see, here's the reality. Jesus did not answer all his questions because he's not trying to answer your intellectual questions. He's trying to meet you in a relationship of intimacy and love. He says to, to Philip, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. They were all of the common people, and Philip followed him. But I love what Philip did right away. See, this is how you know that Philip connected to Jesus when he said, follow me. It says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one. See, when you have a life-changing encounter with the creator of the universe, it's impossible to keep it to yourself. When, when, when your life has been wrecked and then reassembled, with the material of love and hope and faith, you can't keep it to yourself. And the first thing Philip does is he goes and finds Nathaniel because once he meets the source of love, he wants someone he loves to know that source. I know people say, oh, no, faith is private. No, it's personal. It's not supposed to be private. See, I, I love my wife, Kim. Been married 35 years now, almost. 35 happy years for me six happy years for her we've made all these years and it's both private and personal but if it was only private we'd wonder if it was really personal see if I never talked about Kim and never talked about this unique, beautiful human being that I've committed my entire life to, you'd wonder, well, I don't wonder what's going on here. See, when you love someone, it moves from the private space into the public arena because it shapes everything you are. See, I'm not just married to Kim when I'm with Kim. I'm married to Kim all the time, everywhere I go. And so Philip, he just now connects to Jesus, and so he's also connecting to Nathaniel, so he becomes the connector between the two. He says, come, I want, you, I want you to see, I think I found the one. The one Moses wrote about in the law, the one on whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So, so Philip's saying, I found the one that they wrote about. 
Now, how did Philip know Nathaniel would be interested? Because Philip knew that Nathaniel was the kind of person who was looking for God under the fig tree. Now, it doesn't mean that Nathaniel was perfect. It just means he was sincere. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a beautiful description. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, Here's a person with no deceit? Look, I know that Jesus is never going to look at me and say, here's a person who's perfect. I I ruined that one early. I was an overachiever in imperfection. See, I I know Jesus will never look at me and say, here's a person without sin, because um, I've got plenty. Way too many. See, I know Jesus is never going to look at me and say, now here's a person who never got it wrong. Who always got it right. See, I know I'm disqualified for all of those, but I I know there's one description from Jesus that I can actually take on if I choose it. Here's a person with no deceit. Not that he's perfect, not that he's never got it wrong, not that he hasn't messed up, not that he's not broken, but here's a person who's genuinely authentic and real. He's not hiding who he is. He's just willing to work through the struggle of who he is to fight for who he longs to become. I know a lot of people in, in, in previous years have said things like, well, you know, the church is just full of hypocrites. But so is like the world. <laughs> I mean, like, if you want a church that's not full of hypocrites, find another species. But as of yet, this is the only species we got. We have a planet full of people who are not quite what they say they are. See, I used to just remind us all the time, look, we're all just hypocrites in transition. But some people want to judge you by the person you were. And some people will find the grace to see you by the person you're becoming. So when people say the church is full of hypocrites, you go, I know, that's why there's room for you. That's why it's a safe place. Because if you'll own your hypocrisy, you will become less condemning and less judgmental. <laughs> Truly, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So let's, let's aspire to be that person. Let's just be honest and authentic. Let's be real with who we are and where we are. And by the way, the only way... God or humanity can ever help you become who you long to become is to be honest about who you are. You cannot get where you want to go if you are not honest about where you stand. Here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. I love Nathaniel's answer. How do you know me? (laughs) He didn't even argue with it. Because he knew his heart. See, he wasn't under that fig tree for anyone else. He wasn't under that fig tree to impress anyone else. He wasn't trying to be more religious. He wasn't trying to be more noble. He wasn't trying to be more honorable. He wasn't trying to establish a reputation or build his fame. He was under that fig tree because he was on a desperate search for God. He was a man with no deceit. Let me tell you, if you're searching for God and you don't want to change, you're on the wrong search. 
I have a lot of friends who are atheists, but a lot of people think that atheists are all the same, and they're not. It's just like Latinos. I don't, I don't know why. But like, like, white people always thought Latinos were all the same. You know, I, I'm from El Salvador. They go, oh, yeah, you're Mexican. I go, yeah, it's, it's not quite Mexico, but yeah, okay, I, I get that, you know. It's like, oh, oh you're an American. Oh, you're, you're from Canada. It's, it's, it's that kind of idea. And, and the reality is that, that I know this is hard for some of you to see, but white people are not all the same. They're different. Variations. There's Irish and Swedish. And Irishmen and a Dutchman are completely different. They're drunk at different times. And, uh, right? It's like, you know. And, and, and Latinos are not the same. There's a huge difference between a Puerto Rican and a Cuban and a Salvadorian and a Mexican and an Argentine. And if you try to put them all in the same category, they will be incredibly offended. But atheists are not the same. People are like, well, you know what about atheists? I go, atheists are not the same. There are different kinds of, you know, they're angry atheists. It's strange because they're angry at God who does not exist. It's, 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 a, it's a psychosis, right? You know, and, and then there are apathetic atheists who are like, well, I just don't care if God exists. And, there, and then there are atheists who were raised up in like communist China or Russia and have never learned about God. And they just don't have a concept of God. They have no emotional connection to the idea of God. I remember once I was talking to a friend and, and we we're talking about faith and he says, well, I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, okay, that's, that's good to know. I said, well, can we just talk about what kind of atheist are you? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, like I have some friends who are atheists, and they would say, I'm an atheist because I just can't find any proof of God. But, but if God were out there, I'd really want to find him. Goes, or are you an atheist that says, I don't want to know if God exists because I don't want to mess with my life. So I don't want to believe. I don't want to know. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm that kind. The kind doesn't want to know. I said, oh, okay, it's good to know. Because there's nowhere I can go with that conversation. Because anything I don't want to know, I will never know. It's, it's amazing how it works for us humans. See, and, and when Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, here's a man without any deceit. And he goes, how did you know me? See, Nathaniel knew his heart. He knew, hey, look, I don't have an answers to this. I don't have all of the pieces to this puzzle. But what I do know is that I'm searching for what is true. I'm searching for what is real. I'm trying to make sense of life. And so when you say, I have no deceit, you're right because I'm trying to find my way home. I'm not hiding under the fig tree. I'm searching under the fig tree. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi. Oh no, Jesus answered. I forgot the most important feedback. Jesus said, I saw you. There it is. Who do you see? I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. And I started thinking how Jesus saw him. He was still under the fig tree. And then it just gave me this, this overwhelming sense of, of retroactive hope. Because it means that, that Jesus saw me before I ever knew him. That, that, that he knew where I was. And there were times in my life, I remember when I was around 12 years old, I went, maybe 10, I went through my first communion. I went through confirmation as a Roman Catholic. And I had to memorize all these prayers, and I, I didn't do a good job. But I did memorize the Lord's Prayer and a little bit of the Hail Mary, the first line. And, uh, and when I went to my confession, the priest and I began this conversation. I said, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. This is my first confession. And then he said this little spiel and told me to confess my sins. And I said, well, I don't really have any. He goes, you don't have any sins. And I, you know, I was 10. I hadn't really done anything that dramatic. 
And so he started like listing sins. I go, yeah, no, no, no. I was feeling pretty good. And he was getting upset. And I realized he's upset because if I don't sin, he doesn't have a job. Because <laughs> he's got to forgive me of my sin. And yeah, I was a little defiant. And then all of a sudden, the sin came crashing into my brain. And he goes, you're saying you have no sin to confess? I go, oh, I have one. He goes, well, what is it, my son? He goes, I'm not telling you. I thought they had a system. I tell him, he tells my mom, I'm dead. (laughs) Not going to happen. But you know what happened? I had planned my getaway. I had planned to run away from home. We were living in Miami, Florida. I didn't feel like I belonged. But I was not one of those impetuous kids that just runs away. I've seen that happen. They go halfway down the block. They haven't thought it through. They have no income. (laughs) So I had mapped out while we were traveling where in the city I would disappear to, where I could live, what woods I could actually sleep in at night, where I could go take a shower. I started stashing cash at the age of 10 so that I could survive on my own for a period of months until I could figure things out. And then I packed my things to leave, and my little sister saw me packing. She goes, where are you going? I said, no, no way. She goes, where are you going? I said, well, I'm leaving. She goes, you can't leave. I said, no, I'm leaving. She goes, well, let me go with you. And I knew she was too young. I was 10. I was an adult, but she, (laughs) she couldn't run away with me. And I said, no, you can't. She goes, you can't. And she started panicking. I said, okay, go put a little bag together. I I wasn't going to take her with me. I just was going to distract her for a moment. I said, go put a little bag together and then we'll go together. And so while she went and packed, I started hurrying to leave. And my mom comes, so you're running away, huh? Because my little sister went running to my mom. Mommy, mommy, I won't leave you. She goes, what are you talking about? Erwin's running away from home and he's taking me with him. So she came, she said, so you're running away from home. I said, that's the plan. She goes, you stay in your room until your father gets home. And I looked at my mom and I said, that's not the way you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to let me run away from home to show me I can't survive on my own. So that then I come back. My mom said, you're too stubborn to come back. And so she locked me in the room, and I had my first prayer. Not, not my first communion, not those acts of contrition or Hail Marys or Lord's Prayer. See, this was my first prayer. It was the first prayer I ever spoke to God that I meant. I looked toward the sky, and I screamed, Jesus, you're so stupid. And I started yelling at God with every profane essence in my soul. Because I wanted to make God mad. Because I couldn't find God. Because he seemed indifferent to my life. He seemed uncaring and callous to my pain. And I thought maybe, just maybe, if I could get God mad, then maybe he would act and show up in my life. See, I know what it's like to hide under the fig tree. And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. And here's the optimal phrase, before Philip called you. See, you you may be here and suddenly a person of faith comes into your life. Suddenly a person who believes in Jesus crosses your path. Suddenly one of your friends who would never have come to God suddenly comes to God. And you're, you're wondering, what in the world is going on? 
See, it's that Jesus saw you under the fig tree before they saw you. And because Jesus saw Nathaniel, he made sure that Philip saw Nathaniel. Who do you see? Because I'm telling you, there are people that God is looking at right now, people that God sees, people that God loves, people that matter to God, people whose pain is wounding God, people that God is desperately moving toward, and he's waiting for you and for me to have the eyes to see them with compassion. And I know I'm supposed to be focusing on the beautiful realization that God sees you, but maybe just for a moment you could focus on being the eyes of God for someone else. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I want you to hear the difference between Nathaniel's statement and Philip's statement. Philip said, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is only describing the historical reality, Jesus of Nazareth, this is where he's from, son of Joseph, that's who his father was. And, and by the way, the prophets and Moses wrote about him. See, Philip is saying, I, I, I think I found the one that they wrote about, but Nathaniel's saying something very different. He goes, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You're not the one that I read about. You're not the one that they're talking about. You're the one I've been searching for. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to hear about God. It's not enough just to know someone who says they know God. You you can't afford to have a faith that is simply displaced in someone else's experience. You have to find your own fig tree and search for God and find him for yourself. And Jesus said... You believe because I I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And this is the beautiful thing about who Jesus is. When you have a life-changing encounter with him, it changes everything about you. You will see even greater things than that, but it begins here. You believe because I told you that I saw you. See, some of you, this is what you need to hear more than anything else in the world. That Jesus sees you. That he knows who you are. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears and your doubts. He knows everything you are and everything you've been through. He's never been indifferent to you. He's always cared about you. Every moment in your life where you shed a tear or felt pain or wounding or betrayal, he's been there and he's seen you and he knows you. He just needs you to see him because he already sees you. So who do you see? Kim and I were um, younger. We were living in in South Dallas. At that time, it was the highest crime rate, highest murder rate area of the United States. So it was a pretty intense area. I was just there a few months ago. I got to see some of my old friends. It was kind of a beautiful thing. I got to talk to one of my friends who came in to Mosaic carrying a gun and had $300,000 of constructive surgery in his face where a shotgun blew half of his face off with knife holes and bullet wounds all over his body and part of his body set on fire where his, his opposition set him on fire trying to kill him and he was one of the biggest drug dealers in the city and he came to faith and now he's there working in that community of faith. Went and saw another one of my friends who 
I met in a homeless shelter. He had stolen his brother's car. Family. <laughs> and I helped him come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I said, you know, what's the first thing you think Jesus would want you to do? And he was probably return my brother's car. Said, that's, that's a good start. That's probably where Jesus would start, you know? And so he drove across the city and returned to his brother's car. And, and, and both him and his brother are, are still, 40 years later, actively involved in that community of faith and leading the charge. And, and, and it was a Sunday. And I, I know this is hard to imagine. I was wearing a suit at church. It was like one of those $300 polyester suits from Sears, because that's what we could afford. It was so hot. And, and if it was the only, but it was my suit, you know, and, and it was pouring down rain. I know some of you don't know what rain is. In other parts of the world, there's rain, and it comes down heavy and hard, and it's painful. And, 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 and Kim, as she always does, she's, she always sees people Kim always sees people, and she saw all these young people who didn't have a ride home, and she goes, honey, we're going to take all these kids home, and I said, no, no, we're not, and she goes, no, we are, and uh, I said, it's raining, and she goes, I know, that's why we're taking them home, and then, and then I pretended I was doing something, I said, I'm busy, and she goes, well, it's okay, we'll wait until you're done, and then we'll take them all home, and so we ran into the back, into her car, and she threw kids in the hatchback of, was it your yellow Pinto? Yeah, it was hideous. And, uh, and we started driving down the street, and the rain was coming down so hard, the street was flooded within minutes. And as we were driving down the street, the, the water was like waves on the edges of the car. And as I'm, I'm driving, she, she yells, did you see the man? I said, what man? Said, did you see the man? I said, I didn't see anyone. I can't even see the street. Because there's a man, there's a man on the side of the road, you need to go back and help him. And I said, I got these kids I need to take home. So I'm going to take these kids home like you committed. Because you need to help the man. I said, okay, we'll take him home first. And then we'll go back, and if he's still there, we'll help him too. So we uh, got the kids home, we turned around, went back down the same road. The rain was pouring down so heavy I couldn't see. The windshield wipers were losing the battle. And I went right by, I looked for the man, but I couldn't see him. Maybe I didn't want to see him. But Kim saw him. She said, there he was. There's nobody there. No, there he was. He's still in the middle of the street. I said, honey, I was looking. I didn't see him. She said, you need to turn around. I didn't see him. She saw him. I think she was having a delusional episode. And, And we turned the car around. And there's a homeless man with this broken down shopping cart that he'd stolen. And all of his stuff was floating in a pool of water in the middle of the road. And, and, and she said, we need to help him. Now, Kim was about nine months pregnant with Aaron. And when she said we, I knew it was the royal we of her people. <laughs> and so we need to help him. And so I took off my jacket. And I knew there's no point in arguing with her because... Once she saw him, I couldn't stay blind to him. So I ran out there and went to this puddle. I was soaking wet. and I reconstructed his shopping cart because it kept falling over. And so I rebuilt it for him real quickly. And, and, and then I started picking up his stuff. It was all garbage. And I'm a, I'm a clean freak. I don't even like touching. I, just thinking about garbage makes me. And I need sanitizer like right now. And, and, uh, and I'm picking up his garbage and putting it into the shopping cart. And it's pouring down rain. And in the moment I'd finished putting the last piece in, this is how I know there's a God. It stopped raining. And the sun came out. 
I could hear God laughing. Going, now that's timing. It stopped raining, and so I had to stop. I'm soaking wet. I helped this guy pick up his garbage. He's going to meet God. I didn't do all this for nothing. You know, motivated by love. You know, and, and I just started talking to him about Jesus, and he had no interest. But he pulled out this wet business card, and he goes, hey, if you have any garbage at the church, I'd love to pick it up. So I walked back to the car. I was a little unhappy. I didn't get the great story. No life-changing moment. No epiphany that Jesus is who he's been searching for. I got in the car soaking wet. We start driving home and Kim starts sobbing. And I thought, oh, great. Now I did it with the wrong attitude. And, uh, <laughs> and, and as she was sobbing and her nose was running, and she's very dramatic, I said, what? What did I do now? And she said, that was the greatest sermon you've ever preached. I thought, I don't want it to be. I want my greatest sermon to be in front of a lot of people. uh, But inside of my soul, I knew exactly what she meant. Because we never know where the fig tree is. We never know who the person is still searching for God. We'll never know if that moment wasn't a moment for him so that just seconds later he might hear the voice of God saying, follow me. And I'll never forget that moment because Kim reminded me that when you have the eyes of God, you see who God sees. So I want to ask you, who do you see? Who do you see? Who are you compelled to love? Who are you compelled to forgive? Who are you compelled to embrace? Who are you compelled to invite? Who do you see? Who do you see? Because I know who sees you. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. Whether you're here in Hollywood or South Pasadena or in Santa Monica in this moment, just want you to bow your heads just for a moment. There's a God who sees you. He saw you before anyone ever had a conversation with you. He saw you before you came into this moment. He saw you before anyone ever talked to you about Jesus. There's a God who's always seen you. He has always known you. He has always loved you. You have always mattered to him. And the only reason people come into your life to talk to you about God is because God's trying to have a conversation with you that will change everything. And if you're here in this moment and you don't have all the answers because none of us do, but what you know is that you need God. And in this moment, it makes sense that Jesus is his name, that God stepped into human history, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead so that you could live. And if you're here in this moment and you're ready to cross the line of faith and to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just a one-sentence prayer. It's so simple, but it changes everything. Here it is. Jesus, I give you my life. 
right now, if you're ready to cross the line of faith and to trust Jesus with your life, if you finally see that God sees you and you're ready to see God, right now, just whisper this prayer, Jesus. I give you my life. Wherever you are right now, just whisper this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. As our pastors come on the platforms, they're going to take a moment and pray with you. If you're here and you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want to pray for you as well. So if you're here and you whispered this prayer, I want you to raise your hand right now and tell me this was me. I just crossed this line of faith. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. Anyone else? Right now, if you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want you to hold your hand up high. I want to see you. Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful. Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, I thank you for those who in this moment have crossed that line of faith, have opened up their lives to you. God, I thank you that you see them, that you always saw them, that they always mattered to you, that you always loved them, that you've never changed your mind about them. So wrap them up in your love. Let them know that they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them. They cannot mess up enough to lose your love. And I pray right now, Jesus, they would know today is the beginning of new things. For in the most amazing of ways, not only do we know that you see us, but we can actually see you in the way others see us. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.